Good morning. Good morning. It's, it's all good. Well, a lot of new things going on. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. No, it's it's all it's all good. We're we're getting back to some kind of normalcy. So uh, I'm sure you've heard, right? Santa Clara County got on board. We're in the orange tier. If you pay attention to any of those <laughs> those signs, there's like a million signs on those windows outside that t- tell you what to do, what you can't do, this and that. Uh, but we can have up to 44 people in here now. So praise God for that. Um, we don't need to go outside unless we want to go outside. Um, with the heat, we don't got canopies. We haven't invested in that, so I'm not really for that. I'm not, I'm not liking half of my face burnt by the end of the sermon anyways with this mask on. So, uh, but praise God for that. That's a, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's something to be excited about. And uh, again, it was, it was cool to see my wife actually here. <laughs> with my kids, this is the first time I've, well, I've seen Kalos here once during the pandemic, and my, I think Veronica came once, Tears of Heaven come at all, so I'm um, excited to see that uh, the children's ministry is going to open back up, uh, we kind of haven't figured out everything right now, but for now we will have them out in the back and um, hopefully they don't get burned, we need, need to figure out something about that because the weather is going to get warmer unfortunately with these rooms here the way the windows are mounted in the frames there's literally no there's no airflow, and uh, I still haven't been able to contact the, the, the or gotten in touch with the owner of the property, so I don't know what the status is with these filters in the air conditioning, you know, uh, being changed, so I'm not going to be the one to turn it on and <laughs> have us feel the brunt of whatever is going to come out of those things. Uh, so that's kind of what's going on with all that, but in any event, super excited Uh Today, this Sunday, we'll be taking a break from the book of Acts for the next two weeks. You know that I'm not someone that's uh, into following tradition just for the sake of following tradition. But I, I, I did pray about it and the Lord did reveal to me, yeah, right now you better. <laughs> not, not, that, not that we don't, right? Not that every week we don't focus on Christ. But Eli just put it on my heart like, yeah, who are you? Don't. You think you're gonna go and continue on in the book of Acts? He's like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna use today to 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 teach to be used to teach about uh, the triumphal entry, and and I, and I think that for us, this is just a super exciting time as Christians. As again, like I just stated, our lifestyle should revolve around the 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 the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But especially during this time, as today marks the beginning of Holy Week and Passion Week, as some like to call it, and everything that's encompassed in that. So with that, we'll be in Matthew chapter 21. We'll be going through verses 1 through 11 this morning. So when you get there, please stand and I'll go ahead and read the word. We'll pray and we will jump right in to our message this morning. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 down through 11. And it reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this wonderful day, this glorious day that you've given to us, Lord, that you've woken us from our sleep, that you've already spoken to us as we've gotten ready for church service. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come to your house, that we can hear from you, Lord, that we can have relationship with you. Thank you for your word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that are infallible. Thank you that prophecy is fulfilled. We have so much hope knowing that prophetic things come and manifest themselves to be uh, reality in, in our eyes in this third dimensional world we live in. So we, we put our hope and our trust in you. We pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way through your word this morning. Remind us of, of how uh, fortunate we are to have the eyes of our hearts open, that we could see uh, our desperate need for a Savior. And thank you that you did what only you can do, as that song talked about. You're the only one who can. You're the only one that can resurrect life from the dead. You're the only one that can breathe life out of dust and put your spirit in a vessel and call him man and call her woman. So we're thankful for that. And we just pray again that you would receive all honor and glory. May our hearts be right before you. If they're not, may you convict us and help us to get right so we can be clean vessels for your usage. Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. God bless you, church. All right. So I've entitled this message this morning, The Servant King. Um, and, and, you know, this is the cool thing about the Word of God is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think somewhere along the line, ministries get caught up in what can we do that's innovative, <laughs> that, we can, that we can get people's attention. The whole thing, that's, that's been at least since I've been involved in the church, I've always heard, not necessarily from where we're at, but from, you know, different churches around. How do we get the young people involved? Well, we got to do this and do that and maybe get some, you know. Uh, I just got all kind of things. Bring some hip-hop guys in. Get, you know I mean, get somebody who does tattoos and then they'll come in droves and all kind of just many stuff where you're like, that's not in the Word of God. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and be a rapper. I'm not saying you can't, you can't have tattoos and be a Christian. But what I'm saying is allow Jesus Christ the aroma of who He is, the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to draw men and women and children onto Himself and not gimmicks and all these things. Because again, whatever you bring people in with, you're gonna keep, you got to keep them there with. So it's like if, you, if your whole thing is donuts and coffee and that's the biggest emphasis. I know we did donuts and coffee, but that's not a big emphasis. It's just like, man, if you want it, donut and coffee, you have it. But we're not highlighting that. And, and I say that because... You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? As, as followers of Christ, we, we study the Word of God and we, we share what the Lord has shown us and that's it. We don't have to add on to it. We don't have to pull from this and pull in straw trying to get people's attention. And I mean, the Word of God is so powerful. It speaks for itself, amen? Well, today, as I said earlier, this begins uh, Holy Week, Passion Week. As Christians, this is like the Super Bowl week for us. If you're a football fan, <laughs> right, and, you, and it doesn't matter who's playing in the Super Bowl, you're going to have some interest in it. But if you're an avid football fan and your team is in the Super Bowl, you know, oh my goodness, all that week leading up to that next Sunday, there's stuff going on, especially if you go, <laughs> to the site of where the Super Bowl is at. Remember, we, we, uh, Levi Stadium hosted the Super Bowl not too long ago. Uh, Cam Newton played horrible in that game. My gosh, your team won. 
Denver, Vaughn Miller, I remember that fumble in the end zone he got, man. But there was stuff going on all that week. And it was a big deal. And there was all kind of fanfare. Well, for us as Christians, this is that Super Bowl week, if I could use that illustration of football. And, and, and there's so much that goes on into this week. Some people, they choose uh, from, you know, past Friday, they, they don't eat meat. They, they celebrate Lent. And, and, that, and that's quite all right. You know, it's not... Our position is not to pass judgment on who wants to follow what tradition, who wants to keep what tradition. The, the bottom line is, is your heart right with Jesus Christ? Are you hungering after Jesus? Is, is there something bubbling up in you that you, you just get the, you get the goosies over the fact that this is, this, is, this, is, this is a big deal? What's going on right here? When we reflect back and look at the life of Jesus Christ on earth and what he did. And so... I mean, this is what it's all about. Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem, preparing to lay his life down and be the ultimate sin sacrifice for all of humanity. This is what it's about. There's nothing greater than this. And, and I, I, I allude to this every week, and Lord willing, I will continue to, because that's what it's about. It's all about Jesus, right? And, and when we veer off of that... Sometimes we, 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 we look and we're like, man, this world is crazy. It is crazy. And we're like, man, the influence of Satan is crazy. <laughs> but when we start focusing on that, right? Remember, Satan is a defeated foe. His name, the word Satan, means enemy. He's a defeated enemy of God. They are not equal. They are not on the same playing field, right? If you could picture it in your mind... It's like Jesus has his foot, like a steel-toe boot, on Satan's jugular. And he can squeeze it harder, or he can lift it up. If he lifts his toe up a little bit, he's giving him a little bit of room to breathe. That's kind of what's going on in our world today. Satan's already defeated. So we don't have to give him more attention, more airtime than's needed. We do need to speak about him, because we want to be clear that there's a spiritual battle and there's a spiritual enemy that we have as Christians. But we need not give him more attention that he deserves trying to steal the spotlight, trying to steal the shine of Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. All this anticipation of what he is going to do. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. There's several main points that I'd like us to look at. And the first one is this. Jesus Christ has a very hands-on approach and also involves his disciples to join in. People get hung up on, <laughs> some people get, they get fanatical, right? They say, I'm a disciple of Christ. And then people say, you can't be a disciple because you weren't, you weren't, you're not back then. There was only, there was only 12, 13 after Judas and then Paul came in. And I'm not going to get into the politics of all that. Follower of Christ, you want to call yourself whatever, you just need to be knowing that Jesus is your Lord and you're going to do what he says. The point is this, like I said a minute ago, Jesus Christ has a very hands-on approach. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if your life has been changed, if your life has been resurrected from the dead, and now you are spiritually alive and you have a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone, He's going to find some kind of way to get you involved, hands-on, in the action. Hear me on this, though. That in no way means that we are made righteous or are saved by our own doing. Because I know people get that twisted. People are like, I earned my wings. <laughs> I'm, I earned my wings. I've, I've done good deeds. I've done these things that are, 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 are admirable and honorable. I should be received by God. I'm not that bad. But we all know, oh, the heart is deceitfully wicked. So we won't even need to speak on that. The Bible is clear. We are saved by grace through faith so that no man, no woman, no child should ever be able to boast of why they are accepted by the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Yet, in that same breath, 
Jesus never called his disciples to just sit around and look the part of the spiritually mature. <laughs> That's what our old boys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were good at. They looked the part. They had the robes. They had the white long beards that they must have grown for a long time. They had the nice hats. They knew how to wash their hands as it was that were just the weird. It just it's. I mean, it's weird to me because I'm not Jewish, but they would let the water drip down, <laughs> and all and just all the different things that they would do to pronounce themselves spiritually mature. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't call us to just sit around and look the part. Oh, I'm just going to sit in an office and I pray all day. That's not what it's about. Prayer is very important, but that's not what it's about. You could say that Jesus Christ is all about the application of the principles that we find in Him, in His Word, that He teaches. He's all about the application. That's why ever since... A long time ago, I've just been very... The Lord has put it on my heart that I'm very big on application in my own life. How does this apply? How does this apply? Because it didn't make sense to me until I started seeing it play out in my own life. You say that the Bible's real. You say that the Word of God is living and active. Show me. How do I apply it to my life? How is it relevant? How is it tangible to my existence? You ever ask that? Lord, strengthen my faith. Oh, that's a big one. Because now he's going to let all kind of things in that are going to strengthen your faith. He doesn't strengthen your faith by you just get to hold hands with Mickey Mouse and it's all good. And you just get to eat chocolate and, and kick back on a lazy boy all day. That's not how it works. You want your faith strengthened? You're going to go through challenging times. Physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally. Those things are all going to happen. And he's going to say... I'm with you the whole time. Are you focused on me or are you focused on your circumstances? Because remember, you asked me to strengthen your faith. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a big prayer to, 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 to bite off to say strengthen my faith. Or who said, Lord, I need patience. Make me patience. I'm understanding that I am so in need of patience because my five-year-old and my one-year-old show me every day how much patience I don't have. I'm like... I did not, you know, it's crazy. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. But I will be honest and say, before I got married, I did not count the cost. (laughs) I didn't count the cost. I thought I counted the cost. I didn't count the cost. I didn't realize what marriage was really. I thought, I I understood what it was in theory, but I didn't realize that when you say I do and do all that and have the little you know, wedding celebration, that, that, that's the beginning. That's you're at the starting point. It's like from here on out, that's actually marriage for better or for worse, right? For better or for worse is off the hook. That means, man, it ain't always going to go the way you want it to go. Your spouse is not always going to say the things you want them to say. They're not going to always have the attitude that you want them to have. You are probably not going to have a lot of times, not the attitude that they think you're supposed to have. And yet, what does the Bible say? Reconcile yourself to one another. Forgive one another. I'm not saying your spouse is your enemy, but the Bible tells us clearly to love our enemies. Love your enemy. Don't spite them. So you can't just go off half-cocked because somebody got a little snooty. I'm not speaking to my wife. I'm just saying. <laughs> You know, I'm just keeping it real, right? This is what it is. It is no joke. All that to be said about a hands-on approach, this is what Jesus wants from us. This hands-on approach is what we call serving in the Christian community. Oh, Lord, I want to serve. Okay, you want to serve? That's cool. Then come over here and go do this. Oh, I didn't say I want to do all that. I don't want to be in the children's ministry. I don't want to deal with that. But I want to serve. I want to be in the pulpit. And and, I can't say don't desire that. But what I'm saying is we need to desire things for the right reason. I love when I come across believers that are like, dude, I don't care, bro. I'll clean toilets. I'll take out the trash. I don't need recognition. I don't need an attaboy. Just let me serve you, right? Because when we're in that place, 
you know there's been a breaking process. That individual recognized what's been done for them, and they're just grateful to be of service wherever the Lord puts him or her. Remember, it is the Lord who will raise you up at the right time for his desired purpose for your life, right? That's what it's about. Just being willing to be used for the Lord's purposes to bring him glory in whatever it is he calls you to do. Clearly, Jesus Christ is the best preacher and teacher that one could sit under, right? Who wouldn't want to sit under Jesus and hear him preach and teach? My gosh, he's God Almighty. He's the one. Yet, he has called certain men out for that responsibility. He calls men out to preach and teach the word of God. He fills them with his Holy Spirit. He gives them wisdom. He gives them unction. He gives them an anointing to be able to do this. Jesus Christ could easily feed and shelter all the poor and disenfranchised people. I think of <laughs> Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. He could just be dropping pasta and pizza and all kind of food, desserts from the sky if he wanted to, right? He's God. Who can limit him? No one. But yet, he calls his followers to care for orphans and widows. He calls us to. He calls us to. People say, well, how come God's not doing it? We are to be his hands and feet, church. We are to be those that he uses. He partners with his creation. We are a vehicle that he uses to administer grace to the world, to bring light into this dark place. We see this play out in our text this morning because the reality is this. Jesus could have acquired this cult to ride into Jerusalem on by himself, yet he sent two of his disciples to go get the cult and bring it back to him. This is a beautiful example of how Jesus Christ wants to see our faith come alive and be active. Church, it is always great to pray. We should have lifestyles of prayer. The Bible's clear. What does Philippians 4, 6 say? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Tell your father what you need and thank him for all he has done. Pray about everything. That means every little thing. Man, my hangnail. Pray about it. Unless you get infected, you got to cut your finger off. I don't know. Pray about it. It sounds silly, but the Bible's clear. That's not my words. That's the Lord's words. Pray about everything. Prayer is good. It's important. Studying his word is important. And hearing from him is important. Yet it is also equally important for us to activate our faith by being obedient and doing what he says we are to do. A.K.A to apply the principles of the Bible to our lives. You don't want to be that person that knows every scripture and can quote every scripture front and backwards, but there's no application of those scriptures you've memorized at all in your life. I'd rather be like, dude, I don't even know where it's at in the Bible, but I know the Lord told me to do this, I'm doing it, because that, that, that's what it's about. It's about applying these principles to your life and my life. The second main point is this. What you possess, are you willing to allow the Lord to use it for his glory? We don't know much about the owner of this cult and its mother, except that they allowed the disciples to take the animals for the Lord's usage. We do know Jesus Christ is perfect and without sin. So these animals were not taken against the owner's will. The owner agreed to let the disciples take these animals. The owner agreed to let this transaction take place. We all possess God-given gifts, right? God-given abilities that he's given us to use. The Lord has also allowed us to acquire material things in this life. 
This is the question. When the Lord asks you to do something for him, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to give of what he's allowed you to acquire? Are you, allow, are you willing to allow him to utilize the God-given gifts that he has given you? Are you willing to allow him to use you for his glory? You see, and that's a, that's a, big, that's a big kicker for some people. Some people do not see the relevance of allowing him to use them like that. They want to use it for themselves. Again, that there, 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 there becomes the complex of I'm my own God. I'm my own God. I determine what I do, when I want, how I want. But yet, those are the same people who can't sleep at night. Those are the same people that have something in their gut that they can't figure out what it is. And it's the Lord knocking on the door of their heart, trying to get them to understand it's not about you. You can be handsome. You can be pretty. You can be fast. You can be strong. You can have a very high IQ. But it's not about you or me. Those things were given to us so we could in turn use them for the glory of God. And ultimately, see, because some people get turned off by that. Well, why am I going to use it for him? What about me? I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. We don't understand when we fall in line with God's plan for our life. That's when you really get fulfilled. That's when you really find the peace. That's when you really get everything you really want. We think we want all this stuff. I, I'm not going to talk about it. I, I did not get that sweatshirt yet. <laughs> but we think we want all this stuff. And it's going to make us happy. I'm not against taking cruises. Take all the cruises you want. Actually, just be careful. Because, you know, I don't know what's going on. The seafood don't eat. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't trust you. But whatever you want to do. So long as you're not doing it, you're not jacking anybody or stealing, you have the freedom to do those things. The problem lies in thinking that those things that you're buying or doing are going to fulfill you. Enjoy them. But know that Disneyland, Disney World is not going to give you peace. You might have fun for a couple days, for maybe a week. You're still going to leave Disneyland or Disney World with a void in your heart that I don't care how many Mickey Mouse Mylar balloons you get, it's not going to fulfill that void because it can't, right? Because again, like we know, the luster only lasts so long and then it wears off. Then you got to go back and then you got to go back. And then I've been to Disneyland for the last 20 years and I'm still not happy. Get in the Word of God, submit to His will. Then you can either go to Disneyland or not go to Disneyland, and you're going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be tripping off it either way. The third main point this morning is this. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem sitting on a donkey's colt was not a shot in the dark, but prophecy that was fulfilled. Again, we see the beauty of how the whole Bible supports itself, and it never contradicts itself 66 books about 40 different authors excuse me from many different languages and cultures gathered over the span of 1500 years no errors no miscalculations how could you explain that other than the writings have been divinely inspired by the holy spirit of god In all this, the account of Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem the way he did was a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was prophesied 500 years before the account actually took place. I, my, my peon brain, I cannot, I, I, I can't compute that. It's almost like a fairy tale, but it's not. It's real. It's reality. 
It was prophesied 500 years before it actually occurred. For me and you, what does this mean? This is a beautiful thing that strengthens our faith of our never-changing God. I mean, this ought to give you a hope. This ought to give you security in knowing that, man, I I can't, I can't even go back and, and find the relics of all this stuff that was mentioned here. But even people, secular scientists, secular archaeologists, they all find the same thing. You want to watch Discovery Channel? You want to watch National Geographic? Go seek and find it out for yourself. These people are secular, most of them. Most of these PhD doctors, they're secular doctors, but yet they cannot, they cannot come against what the Bible says because there, there, there are things that point this out. This book is infallible. The fact that it stood the test of time. There are many other writings that have not stood, stood the test of time like the Holy Bible. And this is very important for us because these prophecies being fulfilled... They should show us that everything that the Lord says will come to pass. It will. That's why we must take heed because the reality is this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why it's so important to get the scripture down deep in you. That's why it's so important to understand the word of God and ask for revelation as you study the word of God so you can understand I mean, if you want a book where you're like, man, dude, I just, I just want to get in God's word. I don't know where to go. Go to Proverbs. Go to Proverbs. There's 30 chapters. Whatever the date is, what is today? The 28th, start to, on the 28th chapter today. Just read that Proverbs sometime before you go to bed. Read a chapter a day. That's practical application for how you're supposed to live. I mean, it worked for me. That's where I, that's where I honestly, that's where I started. And it was like the Lord did something in me that changed me like okay i'm seeing how this actually applies to my life it's beautiful you get to see the principle of how we're supposed to live and you can see it play out in your life and then from there i mean the the flower will blossom and bloom and who knows where the lord's going to take you in in the word of god but he's definitely going to equip you and gird you up so you're going to be able to rightfully divide the word of god and then you're not going to be so intimidated by you know i don't know Books like Amos. I've never heard. I, I, you know, I haven't heard anybody teach out of the book of Amos. You know, but there's a lot of books, right? Where we're like, oh, it's the Old Testament, and you know, Leviticus. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, you know. But you know, there, there, there's a purpose for all these books and why they're in where they're at and what's in them, right? We just have to unearth these gems of of biblical truth. That are just good for us. Because like I said. His word says. We will live. Not by the physical. But by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Most important book you'll ever own. Is the Bible you own. There's no book above it. Alright. Let's go ahead and get into these verses now. So it says. And starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem. And came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her, excuse me, and a colt with her. <clears throat> Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foul, excuse me, full of beasts of burden. The disciples went and did this as Jesus had directed them. Okay, so first off we see they drew near to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that the religious leaders were going to arrest him, condemn him, mock him, and scourge him. And deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. He's God. He knew. He foresaw what was going to happen to him. Yet he had the courage to not only enter Jerusalem, but to enter in as, a, as publicly as possible. And then some may say, 
well, how how's that a big deal? He's God. He's God. He's he's not gonna he's not gonna feel any pain. He's God. We must understand. He was in the sense in the context of his ministry on earth, hundred percent God, also hundred percent man. We have to understand. We have to go back to the Old Testament and understand. The sacrificial lamb, the sacrifices that the Jewish people had to sacrifice for their sins. People would say, well, that's a bloodthirsty God. Why, why does there have to be a sacrifice? Well, why did there have to be sin? Unfortunately, we have a free will. Doesn't matter if it was Adam and Eve, Joe, Tom, Dick and Harry, Merrill. They all would have sinned. They all, somebody would have said, huh, maybe God doesn't mean I don't have to eat that fruit. They would have ate that fruit, partook of it, and sin would have entered the world. Because sin entered the world, there had to be a sacrifice. Because in your lifeblood, in the lifeblood of human beings is life. Blood has to be shed in order for sin to be cleansed. Because these animals were wretched in themselves, right? I mean, do you know that Skittles are made out of pig hoof? Next time you go eat them wild black... Flavor Skittles. No, you eating pig hoof. That's what gelatin is. When you eating Jello, that's all coming out of the hoof of the pig. That's why these uh, the Jewish people they they don't really eat. They don't partake in all that. But anyways, oh, that's a rabbit hole. But what I'm trying to point out is, even these spotless animals that they would bring to the high priest once a year to sacrifice, you know that that was just a little bandaid on an open wound, right? <laughs> that only cleansed their sins for a year. They would, there, there's, there's accounts that said the robe of the high priest, there would be blood knee high because of, <clears throat> I got to let it bleed out. And then I'm going to burn them up on the altar. Smelling aroma is good to the Lord, right? All these things have to take place. So in order for sin to be forgiven, but see, that's why Jesus Christ had to take the form of a man, lay his life down so his pure blood could be shed that's the only way sins could be, get, be give, could be forgiven, excuse me, past, present, future, right? So when we have a little bit of background about that, it makes more sense. We kind of understand it, especially, well, the Jewish people, they really should understand it because that's directly tied to their culture. They understand all these things that take place as far as their forgiveness to be in order. But this is where we are with Jesus. He knew all these things were going to happen, but yet he still had the courage, we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he asked, he prayed, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But because it's not, let your will be done, not mine. And so he did it. He came in very publicly. This was a direct contrast to the previous pattern of what he would always say. He didn't want to be put on blast. He didn't want the publicity. He didn't want the marquee sign on top of him. Saying, I'm Jesus, come look at me. It's what he did not want. But we also must remember that he, it didn't matter. Because he was the main attraction wherever he went. People followed in droves after him. Seeking miracles in the form of physical healings. Or inquiring about heaven. If he wanted this kind of publicity before this time we're talking about today. He could have had it long ago. But we must remember this before. His time had not yet come. Remember, he would constantly say that. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. No, these things have to take place. Jesus would say himself, prophecy must be fulfilled before my time is to come. Specific things needed to happen first. And this was one of them. Him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. Next we see... That Jesus addressed two of his disciples. He had told them to go into the village before them and that they would find a donkey tied up with her colt. This leads us to our first main point. Jesus got his disciples involved with things needing to be done. He had delegated responsibility to them. Remember, he is God Almighty of all creation. This earth is his footstool. He can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants. No questions asked. The only thing he can't do is go against his nature. 
That's the only thing God can do. People say, well, what can God not do? I'm not trying to be a smarty pants, but he just can't go against his own nature. But anything else he can do. <laughs> He's holy. He can do whatever he wants. But he felt it right to give his disciples a task to get involved in. This helped his disciples learn that following Jesus is not a passive thing reserved for just sitting around and listening. Instead, it is an active responsibility that we have that requires serving by doing, right? We are not going to sit crisscross applesauce with our hands like this talking about I'm meditating. I'm not, not, I'm not making fun, but I'm just saying that's not the, that's not the heart of Christianity. It's not. The, 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 the true Christian faith has so much more than just sitting there. The application is this. We should regularly sit under solid biblical teaching. That is one of the benefits of belonging to a Bible-based home church. But from that Bible-based teaching we sit under, excuse me, should grow a desire to apply what we have learned. God will provide you opportunities to be co-laborers in His work, but we must be willing to humble ourselves, submit and obey to the orders that He gives. That is the truth. There should be a desire growing in you to want to apply these things you learn. You should have a desire to want to share the message of Jesus Christ with people around you. Your ministry may not compose of filling up a stadium full of people for you to share the gospel. Maybe your ministry, for starters, is just in your home. And it's the way you live. It's your conduct before your children, your conduct before your spouse who may not be saved. That's all it is. But that's such a big deal. Sometimes we overlook those things and we say, oh, my ministry, I don't even know. You know how much of a big deal that is? Do you understand your sphere of influence? No one else can, can do what the Lord can do through you in your sphere of influence. I can't, I can't go to everybody's, everyone's house and say, oh, that give a three-point message on this is what the gospel is and, you know, give your life to Jesus. Like, and how's that going to go over? They're going to be like, dude, get out of that church. That dude's a weirdo. I don't want him in my house. doesn't make sense. The Lord wants to use you where you're at with the people that you love, that you care about, right? That's a big deal. Many times in ministry, man, the family gets thrown to the wayside for the sake of, oh, I'm serving in the church. That's so backwards. Keep That's what the Bible talks about. Get your house in order. Keep your house in order, man. Keep your house in order. Don't put it on the church. Don't put it on the children's ministry. That should be a cherry on top. If mama and papa ain't preaching and teaching to their children, if mama and papa ain't preaching and teaching to each other, don't expect the church to come to clean up the mess. That ain't fair to the church. You want a strong church? Start with a strong individual relationship with the Lord. That's going to spread to your family. Now you got a strong family unit. Now you're bringing a strong family unit into the church. And now we're going to have strong community of families that are strong in the word of God. Because we're taking the responsibility upon ourselves. I'm just a mere man. Please don't look to me. I can't help you in your problems. <laughs> I might be able to point you to the word. But that's about it. That's all I'm good for. Right? We need to look to God. And when we, when we understand that, though, really, uh, church... And we take responsibility for that. It's so liberating because you realize, like, man, okay, I play a big part in all this. You do. You play a big part in your life because nobody else can do what you can do. Only you can say yes to the Lord. Only you can get serious about your relationship with Christ. Only you. But that's actually, I take that back. Because when, with the, the, the benefit is when you do all that, man, all kind of people are blessed when you fall in line, right? When I fall in line, all kind of people are blessed. Or all kind of people are cursed, depending on what we do and don't do. We don't know much about these two disciples other than the fact that Jesus gave them directions and they followed him. You see, this is the reality. Sometimes Jesus gives us directions, but we don't like the directions. We don't like the task. 
And so we don't obey. Whenever we know what we are to do, yet we refuse to do it, the reality is this, you can expect to be dissatisfied and let down. That's actually the sin of omission. When we know what to do and we say, I'm not going to do it. I know I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, but I'm going to just, you know, and wonder, and then wonder why I'm so depressed all the time. Man, I've been with this person for five years. We've broken up three times already. It's like, dude, the Lord already tried to tell you, move on. Move on. That's not the person for you. I got someone else for you, but you're just trying to hold on because, oh, it's going to hurt so bad. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. It. I can't, I can't. Man, lean on the Lord. I'm not going to say you ain't going to be depressed for a little bit, but come on. That's just, come on. You know? He, she is but dust and dirt. It's nothing with a little bit of makeup and cologne sprinkled on top. It's nothing. You get over it. Let the Lord fill you. You'll be okay. Follow and be obedient. Think about this. Have you ever truly been disappointed or dissatisfied with what the Lord has provided for you? If you happen to say yes, and that's okay if you do say yes, because that's an honest answer, be honest with yourself. If you've ever been dissatisfied with what the Lord has provided for you, it's because you were focused on your will and not His. When we focus on the Lord's will, we're never going to be dissatisfied with what He provides. It may not be what we think we want. It may not look like what we think we want. Your bank account may not look like what you think you want, but it's what you need. Maybe if you had millions of dollars, you'd squander it all and your soul would go straight to hell because you'd totally forget about the Lord. Maybe you live in check to check, having to figure out what's going on to refinance your house, this and that. It's all part of the Lord's will to help you stay on track and stay humble so your eyes stay fixed on him. And he's like, I got you. I got you. It might be tight, but I got you. I'm just saying, it's so easy to look to the left and look to the right and just throw money at it and say, I'm okay. You know, or ah, my health is so good, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live to 95. Well, don't go there. Don't go there. Because every heartbeat is a gift from the Lord. Your heart can start murmuring all weird and you start palpitating in a second, in a minute and be done. We never take things for granted because we know it all comes from him. Next, we see there were two animals, a donkey and a colt. Jesus would ride upon the young colt of these, uh, the, young, the younger of these animals, the colt. He told the disciples how they would find these animals and instructed them to bring both of the animals. Again, we know that Jesus Christ is the complete, perfect gentleman, truly the only one to ever walk the face of the earth and not sin. So being that that was the case, these two disciples did not covertly come across these animals and steal them away. They came across the owner and explained to the owner what Jesus had said. Now, the owner had to make a decision. This is the next point. Were they going to allow the disciples to take the donkey and her colt or not? Well, obviously, we know the answer because the disciples took the animals back to Jesus. The application is this. We all possess gifts, talents, and possessions that the Lord would like to use. The question is, are we willing to allow God to use us and our possessions or not? The reality is, we are simply stewards of what we think we own. Your house, your name might be on that title deed. You're not the owner. You're the owner in the world's eyes. You're the owner in the bank's eyes, or maybe actually the bank's the owner. <laughs> but the reality is you're just a steward of that home. Parents, that's my kid. That's my boy. He has my eyes, my nose, my ears, my attitude. That's the Lord's child. You are merely but a steward of that child. Your responsibility is to raise that child up in the ways of the Lord so when they come to the appropriate age, they can make the determined decision of what they're going to do with their lives and how they're going to live it. 
That's not to say if you've had circumstances where you've had children not grow up with the Lord or stray away from the Lord as a prodigal, that you did a bad job. Because the reality is we're all prodigals. We've all gone astray. We've all missed the mark. But the reality is you're supposed to be the best table setter you could possibly be. Set the table for your children. We were talking earlier this morning. If my children are going to go astray, they're going to go astray because that wicked desire in their heart is, is, is they're, they're falling victim to that and they're going out. But it's not going to be me bringing things in my house, teaching them to do things that are ungodly. You want to be ungodly? You're going to go and find it out there in the world. You're not going to find ungodliness in this house. Jeremiah 24, 15, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That's real, right? When, it, when, you're, when your relationship gets real with the Lord and then you get married and you have kids, it gets really real because you're like, man, I had a situation with Kalos yesterday. I was telling Michelle this morning, all of a sudden we were leaving, uh, you know, um, visiting some family on the backyard. We were social distancing. And uh, all of a sudden this kid was like, my head hurts. My head hurts. I'm like, okay, well, you didn't fall. So what's going on? Maybe you know, heat exhaustion? I don't know. You haven't been out of the house running around for a long time. It is 70-something degrees. Game water. My head hurts. My head hurts. Went from that to my, ah, my head hurts. My head hurts. He's screaming his head off. Every five minutes, screaming his head off. We're like, and me, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm, not, I'm more of the panicker. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm trying to keep my cool because my father-in-law's there, my mother-in-law's there. So I'm like, I grab him. I'm, I'm over here like, okay, Jesus Christ, name <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then, oh man, it's just, and he's just frantic. And it's like, we gotta go. The popsicle didn't work. The ice didn't work. You know, I prayed for him. I'm like, Lord, what's up? Trying to keep my cool. I'm now, at this point, I'm sweating. We gotta go. So we get in the car. Now he's really screaming. I'm like, Veronica, call the advice nurse. Call the advice nurse and take him to the ER. My wife's super calm. She's like, we just need to go home. Give him some Tylenol. He hasn't had a nap. I'm like, does that sound like he hasn't had a nap? It's, I don't know if he's got a tumor in his head. he got a lesion that's burst or something. I mean, that's where my mind goes. I'm like, dude, what's going on? Oh, man. All that to be said, you know, when you, have, when you, when you got kids that you're stewarding, man, your heart breaks. You know, I'm over here in the living room later in the afternoon. I'm over here. So my, my wife's laughing at me, and I'm like, I'm crying because I'm like, it, it, I can't. I, mean, I get emotional. It, it hurts. I don't want to see my kids suffer. And then, heaven forbid, my little girl. Oh, my gosh. You know, not that I have favorites, but I guess, you know, with girls, you just get more googly. So all that to be said, we're stewards. Steward them well. Whatever you have, steward them well if it's a non-living thing steward it well don't abuse it don't take advantage of it your position the authority that god has given you use it well for the glory of god okay just like receiving the gift of salvation or just being offered the gift of salvation jesus christ will never force it upon you but rather leave the ball in your court. We must decide whether we accept or reject his gift. Likewise, we must decide whether or not to allow Jesus to use us or reject his usage of us, the God-given gifts he's given us and the things he's allowed us to acquire in this life. Next we see, if you read the accounts of Mark and Luke, they both said the animal was so young that it had, it had never been ridden upon. In the midst of this excited crowd, in a frenzy, an unbroken animal remained calm under the hand of the Messiah who controls nature. Also, because the colt had never been ridden, it would make sense to bring the mother along as well to reassure the animal that the noisy crowd wasn't going to do harm to the animal. The fact that the text goes on to say that the Lord had need of the cult does not mean in any way, shape, or form that Jesus Christ lost his sovereignty. Jesus Christ is in need of nothing. See, this is where people that try to dispute the Bible, they try to find loopholes and say, well, see, see Jesus said he says he has need. That's like when they, when, they, when they make that foolish comment and say, 
Hate your mother and hate your father? What kind of God do you serve? Well, dude, if you get into the Bible, you'll understand that the text means don't have your father and don't have any other thing competing for your love for Jesus. He must come first before your mother, mother and your father, before your wife, right? Newlyweds or soon to be back there. That's a bit of wisdom I could give you. Make sure Jesus is the love of your life. Your marriage is going to be fine. I don't care what you guys go through. As long as Christ is the love of your life and your hubby and your wife, your second, you're going to be all good. Jesus Christ is in need of nothing. This was said because in order for the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 and Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27 to be fulfilled, a donkey's colt was needed. Next we see it says, Your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. Jesus came in Jerusalem in humility and with dignity. Instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general, like most of the Jewish people imagine, we got a conquering Messiah. Oh, dude, he's going to be swole like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's going to come with a Conan sword, chopping off the heads of these Romans. He's going to free us and liberate us from the damage of these, these heathen. He didn't come like that. He came in on a colt, which was customary for royalty. He came to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. But notice, when he returns the next time, that's what we're waiting for, he will come administering final righteous judgment upon all mankind, riding upon a white horse with a sword extending from his mouth, signifying the perfect judgment as he is the word of God, as the word of God possesses, as the word of God is a double-edged sword, sharper than any double-edged sword. How could you handle a double-edged sword? You're going to get cut anytime you touch it. That's why when you open up the Word of God, you will get cut because it slices. It slices through all the nonsense and it gets to the heart of the matter. Again, conviction is such a rich thing in the Christian life. I don't know why people think, I'm not saying you guys, I don't know why people run away from conviction. That's that striking, piercing in your heart when something goes on. That's an indicator trying to help you. Don't let it numb out. Don't get complacent because that's that knocking. I just heard a message from Charles Stanley earlier this morning. That's all I heard was, and he's talking about the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. He talked about living by a train. And for so many years, eventually... That train didn't become annoying anymore because he just tuned it out. Area was beautiful. <laughs> Had to deal with that obnoxious train coming by, you know, 12 times a day. The same thing can happen with the Lord knocking on the door of our heart. Don't allow that knock to get dull. Don't drown it out. Don't let that conviction drown out. All right. Donkeys were old beasts that great people back then used to ride on. You can read about that in Judges chapter 10 and chapter 12. But after Solomon's time, the Jews got a breed of horses. So only poor people rode upon donkeys, mostly reserved for burdens. And this is where it comes in where it talked about the burdens of Jesus as he rode on. Well, just think about the burden Jesus Christ had on his shoulders. He took the world's sin past, present, and future upon himself. I mean, just think of what that means. Just think of what you've seen in the news in the past few weeks. The shooting in Atlanta, the shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Those are just two things. Those two things in and of themselves are too much to handle. Think about all the other little things in between that have gone on. That's just in the last two weeks. And to think that Jesus Christ takes upon himself every single sin that has ever been committed? Well, we see now why he rode on a donkey entering Jerusalem and why he alone deserves all praise, glory, and honor. You tell me, who else, who else could accomplish what Jesus Christ did for you and for I. No one. 
No one could take. I can't, I can't imagine that burden. That's why it talks about in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, you know, sweating drops of blood. It's that intense. <laughs> I can't even deal with my own sin, let alone anyone else's sin. That's, it's just, again, my peon brain. I can't, I can't, I can't fathom it. It's that intense. I'm sure it is that intense for you as well. This entry into Jerusalem has been termed the triumph, the triumphal entry of Christ. It was indeed the triumphal entry of humility over pride and worldliness and grandeur over poverty, over influence, and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. Jesus Christ is the servant king and our greatest example of how we are to live. Amen? All right. We just have a little bit more and then we'll wrap it up. Then they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. All this was done to honor Jesus as a great triumphant person coming into Jerusalem in the season of the Passover. The spreading out of garments, you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 9. The act of spreading out garments was one of recognition, loyalty, and promise of support. Carrying palm branches was also symbolic of victory and success. If you look to Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So we're going to see that. We're going to see that later on. Again, how the Bible all intertwines with itself. Next we see yet another prophecy fulfilled. Hosanna to the Son of David. This was an open messianic praise of Jesus Christ. They looked to Jesus for salvation because Hosanna means save now. It was addressed to the kings as in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4 and 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26. They openly give Jesus the titles appropriate for the Messiah, Son of David, He who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus received and encouraged this worship in this particular instance. Again, this was because this is the day that the Lord has made. This is being fulfilled in, in the, the actual event that we see in Scripture. The day when the Messiah has come as Savior to Jerusalem in the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Hosanna is essentially the Jewish people's cry for deliverance and help in the day of their trouble. Remember, Rome was oppressing them continually, and so they needed this uh, so to, to be lifted out of uh, the bondage they were in physically with the Roman Empire. It is an oppressed people's cry to their Savior and their King. In this instance, they shouted, Hosanna in the highest, but later on, many of these same voices would yell, Crucify Him! crucify him that's hardcore (laughs) that shows us our finickiness as people how flippant we can be one minute the bible talks about that how can out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing next we see when he had come into jerusalem all the city was moved Jesus also showed that he wasn't afraid of the chief priests and Pharisees. He knew that they were plotting to kill him, yet he came openly to the city as the Messiah. When the religious leaders were looking for the king of the Jews, all of Jerusalem was troubled. Now, when Jesus Christ arrives 
all the city is stirred up. Again, we see this shiftiness of the people. The application is this. Our conviction of who Jesus Christ is must be sure. We shouldn't be fickle and flip-flop because of the majority. We need to decide once and for all, either Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and we acknowledge that with humble submission to Him in obedience, or we rebel in rejection to Him. You cannot be lukewarm in the eyes of Jesus Christ. If you are, He will spit you out. You don't want to be spit out of the mouth of God. It was here before He entered the city that He looked over the city and wept, knowing the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem. This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This continues the earlier identification of Jesus with Nazareth. It would sound strange to many, especially for the religious establishment, right? Because to have a prophet come from there was unheard of. But that's the way God does things. He doesn't do things the way we would think. In all of this, we see the infallibility of the Word of God. For these prophecies to have been made hundreds of years before and to have them come to fruition is again all you need to see that the Bible is the inspired instructions from God. As the worship team comes up, this is my last point. Many will wish away or denounce the reality and truth of the Bible. But remember, all of this Jesus, Jesus Christ endured was for you and I. We must take it personal. This is the greatest love story of how a righteous God endured shame, humiliation, pain, rejection, and agony to ensure that you and I would have a clear path to redemption. He became the ultimate sin offering so we could be saved. If that reality doesn't warm your heart, Nothing else will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the sin offering that your Son Jesus Christ became for the world. That we may be partakers of your grace and your mercy. Lord, how, how unworthy are we to receive that? But how thankful we are that you deem us worthy to receive that. Lord, you've opened the eyes of our hearts supernaturally because we can't do it and you have been calling us to you the whole time thank you lord may we never take for granted the shed blood of jesus christ may we never trample upon the blood of jesus christ as it is as if it was common but may we revere your son in such a way that our lives would revolve around him May we find our peace and our joy in you. May you fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we may share this great understanding of how man can be saved with those around us. We don't want to see our loved ones perish. We don't want to see the people that we come in contact with on a regular basis go to hell. Lord, it's real. As real as heaven is, hell is just as real. And if people do not turn from their wicked ways and accept this free gift, that is what they have to look forward to when their time runs out on this earth. So Lord, may you use us. May the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.